You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Lift up your heads, your redemption draws nigh. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by ChristadelphianVideo.org. This episode by Brother Jim Cowie looks at the clear signs that are abounding that the Lord Jesus Christ is soon to return to the earth. The world is reeling with crisis upon crisis, a time of trouble such as never was which was recorded in Daniel chapter 12, would be a sign of the coming of the Lord. This is the time when he who is like El will stand up and the resurrection of the dead will take place. Now, events in Ukraine are leading to unprecedented consequences. Food shortages are threatening many countries. Energy supplies are failing. And with sharply rising inflation, a huge financial crisis looms, possibly before the end of the year. But for those who truly trust in God and his prophetic word in the Bible, these are times when we can lift up our heads. These are the circumstances predicted by Jesus himself in passages such as Luke 21. World events which herald his glorious return to judge the world in righteousness and bring everlasting peace. But I want to start with the package of signs since 2015. And when you reflect upon this, brothers and sisters, we've waited a long time. I've been in the truth for 55 years or more. And you know, through that 55 years, I was baptised in 1967, February 67, which was the Six Day War. That was a huge event. And you look back on that, and there have been significant things that have happened, but nothing, nothing that even remotely as, as what we've seen in the last six or seven years. So a very quick review of what's happened in this period. And what's God trying to say to us, to us do you think? He's, I think he's saying, look, you've waited a long time, you've been patient, now look at this. Look at this package of things that are happening that are clearly fulfilling Bible prophecy. I can't do any more for you. If you cannot see what I'm up to here, then I'm sorry. I can't do any more. So that's why I think it's important to review what has happened since 2015. Now it was in September of 2015 that the Russians, of course, entered into the Syrian conflict and they're still there, and they are encroaching upon Syrian territory. They've got now two ports on the coast. They're stationing ships in those two ports. They are gaining ground in Syria. And of course, the day will come when scripture says they'll take it over anyway, right across to Pakistan. And that they'll become then the king of the north. I'm not gonna talk about that today, but that's what's in the future. So Israel said at the time, Netanyahu said, Israel has a Russian border now. Isn't that interesting? They got a Russian border. In June 2016, Britain voted to leave the European Union. That was a huge event. It was against the odds. They thought the yes vote to remain in Europe would easily win. But of course, God had different ideas. And he sent a storm from, from Belgium 
from the very capital of the European Union in Brussels, they never come from there. But this series of storms did on the 16th of, of June uh, 2000, uh, on the, what was the date? 26, uh, I think it was. 26, well, somewhere in that period. That was it. Yeah, uh, when was the 24th? Anyway, whatever, doesn't matter. 2016, he sent that storm on that day and there was flooding all through the London area and many people couldn't get to the polling booths. And it didn't matter what time they went, they were, they were blocked off. And two million people, they say, couldn't vote on that day. And the, and the no vote won by 1.7. It's right? a little bit like the events of, of Dunkirk in 1940, where there was clearly divine intervention to bring to pass something that was quite remarkable. So we know that God's been at work. 2017, of course, Trump's first year in office promoted peace between Israel, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf States. That didn't look likely, did it? But Trump had a Jewish son-in-law and he sent him over there as the ambassador. Look at it now. We've got the Abraham Accords. We've got peace being built between Israel and its former enemies. Why is that important? Well, you can see Ezekiel 38 verse 13 there. That verse, of course, speaks about Britain not being part of Europe, but being uh, in opposition to God's uh, invasion of the land. And it also speaks about Sheba and Dedan, the nations of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, that Persian Gulf area, being part of the opposition to the Gogi invasion. So the whole thing was turned upside down from what it used to be. In December 2017, the Likud party decided to push for the annexation of the West Bank. And they're working on that progressively. Even this current government's working on that. Because you see, God doesn't come down upon the mountains of Palestine because they wanted to make that a Palestinian state. Mm -hmm. God comes down upon the mountains of Israel. Ezekiel 38 verse 8 requires the West Bank to be part of Israel proper at the time of Armageddon. Okay? And so God's working on that one as well. In 2018, we have, of course, the activity of an organisation called CANZUK. It means it's an, it's an acronym for Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the United Kingdom, trade organisation. And of course, this is Ezekiel 38, 13, isn't it? Tarshish, Britain and the young lions thereof. It says the merchants of Tarshish. So the emphasis on trading. And that's exactly what's happened. China's uh, problems with Australia, of course, is forcing Australia to trade with India and Britain and other uh, uh, parties that belong to this group, the young lions group. They wouldn't have done it otherwise, see? But the angels are active to make sure it happens. 2019, as I said, Australia's relationship with China drastically changed and it's forcing Australia to do certain things like, for example, last year they, they, they had a, an agreement, a, a free trade agreement with Britain signed. They're still working through the detail of that. But here we are. We've got Australia now going to do a lot more trade with Britain. The merchants, the Tarshish and the young lions thereof. Scripture always comes to pass, however it may look at the time. It will come to pass. 2020, the COVID pandemic, we know what that's done to the world. It's guaranteed ultimately a global financial crisis uh, due to increasing national uh, debt levels, staggering levels in fact. In early 2021, against the trend you might say, house and property prices skyrocketed. Why? Because people weren't travelling overseas, they had more money, so they went into property and buying houses, and so the prices went up through the roof. And of course we know what that's going to lead to eventually, the bubble will ultimately burst, I think it's already begun. 
Mid-2021, the relaxation of many COVID restrictions saw an outburst of eating and drinking and a return to most of the activities listed in Luke 17, 26 to 28. Eating, drinking, buying, selling, building, planting, you know, all the stuff that Christ says was going to happen when he returned. And late 2021, rising inflation. Oh, you've probably heard a lot about this of late, haven't you? Rising inflation. You know what that, the problem is there? That the more rapidly you increase interest rates, the more you endanger the economies and the stock market in particular. This is what caused, one of the causes of the 1929 crash of the stock market led to the depression. And a bit more about that in a moment. And we are watching that happening right now. Come to this year, 24th of February, you've got Russia invading Ukraine. And of course, we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Sequel 38 verse 2. Gog is of the land of Magog and Prince of Rosh. And we're going to have a look at where the territory of the Rus was, the Rosh uh, of ancient history. And March to June this year, Ukrainian crisis and related sanctions on Russia sent fuel and commodity prices sky high, almost guaranteeing the collapse of the world's financial and economic system later this year. And in April to June, interest rates began to rise rapidly from historic lows. You know, the, the Reserve Bank said a couple of years ago that they would not raise interest rates in Australia until 2024. Would not raise interest rates. They've already raised them, I forget what it is now, three quarters of, of uh, 0.75, I think it is. They reckon it will be two and a half by the end of the year. It's going to bankrupt a lot of people. It's going to see them lose their homes. And you add everything else onto the top of that. It's going to be a huge problem. Okay, got a bit of a feel for the things that God's done in the last six or seven years. He's very active and it's telling us something. It's telling us that we are nearing the end. You're all familiar, I think, with Ezekiel 38 and verse 2. This is the literal translations. No matter where you go, the literal translation of the Hebrew is as you see it on the screen. Go, and that's a title, it's a title of a dictator. The word actually means the one at the top. Gog is of the land of Nago. So that is where he comes from when this invasion occurs. He's called the Prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. And when you look at a map, and this is one of your maps, Ken, that I'm borrowing from you, you can see where these powers are. So you've got Rosh there right in the middle. You see a circle with the purple. And to the, to the northeast of that, you've got Meshach and Tubal. Okay, so Gog's power is based here. And I'm going to show you how important that particular place is to Vladimir Putin. Historians say that this is the land of Magog. The, 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 you see the red line around that territory? It incorporates Germany on the west. But the largest territory in Magog of, of history is the Ukraine and Belarus. And that was where the Rus established their kingdom in the, in the 900 AD era. And their first capital was Kiev. That's where the, the leaders of the Rus uh, lived. That's, that was their place of rulership. So this was the empire of Vladimir the Great, who is, by the way, uh, Putin's hero. All right? he, he, he models himself on Vladimir the Great. And it obviously wants to have the same territory that Vladimir the Great ruled over. So uh, this man, Vladimir Putin, and they say he's got cancer, well, watch, watch that space. Uh, whether it's him or whether it's someone else, these things are going to happen. But he's certainly got all the characteristics that the scripture would require of Gog, and we'll have to wait and see on that. 
and, and I think it will, it will unfold exactly as the scripture requires in due course. He described the fall of the USSR as the greatest geopolitical disaster in history, and he's trying to correct it. And he regards, of course, Ukraine as being part of the Russian nation. So why Vladimir the Great is important to Vladimir Putin, got the same name. It means to rule with greatness. It's derived from the Slavic element Vod, to rule, combined with Mir, great or famous. The second element has also been associated with Mir, meaning peace or world. So this, is, this was the name borne by the 11th century Grand Prince of Kiev, who was venerated as a saint because of his efforts to Christianise Russia. Now just bear that in mind, because a lot of what's happening now is because of religion. It's because of Putin's connection with the Russian Orthodox Church. And he's modelled himself on this man, Vladimir I. So let's just step back in time a little bit. Let's go back to towards the end of the last century. To 1997, a Russian political scientist named Alexander Dugin, who happens to be Putin's closest advisor today, all right, wrote a book along with another chap, and it was about the foundation of Russian geopolitical strategy over the next 20 years. So this is 1997. The book was called The Foundations of Geopolitics, and it was all about how Russia could reassert itself in the world and tunely, the book now reads like a to-do list for Putin's behaviour on the world stage. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole of it, just, just a couple of selections. This book starts out by saying that the shrewd thing to do for Russia would be to steer clear of direct military confrontation, which they've done for a long time. Instead, the book counsels Russian leaders to favour political stealth and, you know, using things like they did in the American election in 2016, you know, getting involved behind the scenes. It argues that Ukraine should, surprise, surprise, be annexed by Russia. So it was Dugan who sowed this seed in Putin's mind. The book's authors say Russia should encourage Britain to leave the European Union. It's 1997, remember, and thus weaken it. That's right, Russian strategists were openly, openly arguing in favour of Brexit in 1997 when it was still just a glimmer in Nigel Farage's eyes. Ukraine is integral to Russia. They first established Kiev as the capital in the land of the Rus. Uh, in 2004, Ukraine elected a democratic European-inclined president. He was poisoned prior to the election. He still won the election. Putin's ally Yanukovych was defeated and Putin humiliated. Putin re retaliated in January 2006, which was right in the middle of a very bad winter, by cutting off gas to the Ukraine, so they froze. He offered $15 billion as a loan to Ukraine designed to head off Ukraine's drift towards Europe. That failed when his ally uh, Yanukovych was finally ousted from power. So that's a little bit of the background of what's happening today. This, what we're seeing now came from the history of the last 20 years, particularly in that period of 2004 to 2006 when Putin was badly humiliated by Ukraine. Now, he has global ambitions. This is from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, and this is what they say in this particular article, which was published in February 2019. Success begets more success, and since Putin's return to the presidency in 2012, his record has been enhanced by what Russian officialdom sees as several important wins. 
the annexation of Crimea, the war in eastern Ukraine, the military deployment in Syria, the tense military standoff with the West in the Baltic and Black Seas. Moreover, the Kremlin's record since 2012 suggests that it will not be deterred or constrained by economic difficulties. The Russian economy has performed poorly since then, with growth hampered by a failure to institute long overdue structural reforms and excessive dependence on exporting hydrocarbons and other raw materials. But, and this is very important in relation to the sanctions that the West has imposed, economic difficulties have not put a break on Russian activism abroad. So they are able to put up with a lot in order to continue on their road. To the contrary, this article said, and, and you know, Western leaders should have read this, shouldn't they? The Kremlin's ability to withstand both domestic economic difficulties and Western sanctions without changing course is a sign of Moscow's commitment to an activist foreign policy as a long-term choice of the country's leadership. See, they're not going to be worried about all these sanctions that have been imposed on them. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt their oligarchs. But it's not going to stop Putin doing what he has planned to do. And I think that's quite important in relation to what we're hearing now. Because we're hearing a lot of reports how he's made this huge mistake and he's lost 50,000 soldiers in the battle and all of these tanks have been destroyed and he's been pushed out of parts of Ukraine. All that stuff's coming from the Western reporters. They don't understand scripture. Scripture says he's going to possess this territory. Go is of the land of Magog. He's the Prince of Rosh. He's going to possess the ancient territory of the Rus. And that happens to be Ukraine and Belarus. Okay? So it's going to happen. That's why, of course, this passage in, Go in Ezekiel 38 about Go is very important. You know, we've had, in our community, we've had some difficulties over this particular path, particularly in the 1990s, for example, when the USSR collapsed. We have people saying, oh, well, there you go. there's that business about Russia being go, that's all out of the window now. Sorry. We didn't realise then that we're going to be, we'd still be here some 30-odd years later, all right? But God was at work. And now what we see, of course, vindicates our understanding of this passage of Scripture. This is, of course, uh, Unger's Bible Dictionary commentary on Ezekiel 38 and 39, which he says deal with go, the prince... So it's a, it's a dictator, and Magog, his land, he's got that right, described the actual invasion of Palestine as it was when he wrote it's now Israel by a great northern confederacy ostensibly headed up by Russia. He's got that right. The scene depicts a gigantic outburst of anti-Semitism and a colossal attempt to overrun Palestine or Israel and annihilate the Jew. He got that right. You know, So we need to be confident that our pioneer brethren who interpreted Ezekiel 38 and other places did get it right, there's no question about it, and we're now seeing the vindication of that. But, this is what I want to emphasise, there are religious underpinnings to the invasion of the land of Israel, and the horrendous persecution of Jews for centuries by the Orthodox religions for what they call blood libel, that is the, the murder of Christ, is legendary. And the Russian Orthodox Church is no better than the Catholic Church in that regard. And Putin, of course, presents himself as a devoted Christian and acts like one of the worst human beings ever born. Mm. All right? But he does present himself as a religious de devotee uh, of the Russian Orthodox Church. He was baptised. <coughs> His Christian mother secretly baptised him at birth. All right? So he has got this heritage. And he still wears his baptismal cross today. 
All right, so here is this man who is one of the worst human beings ever uh, who presents himself as a defender of religion. And here he is, of course, in the presence of the Pope, presenting the Pope with Russian Orthodox Church, uh, uh, icons and all that sort of stuff. But you see this gentleman down the corner here, Kirill? When he became the leader of the, of the Russian Orthodox Church in 2004, he became one of Putin's closest allies. And he is an advisor to Putin. And I want to show you the sort of advice that he's been giving to him. But let's just take Putin himself firstly. In his 2013 uh, State of the Nation speech in the Kremlin, he whipped the West with religion. He said, today many nations are revising their moral values and ethical norms, eroding ethnic traditions and differences between peoples and cultures. Society is now required to accept without question the equality of good and evil, strange as it seems, concepts that are opposite in meaning. Many Euro-Atlantic countries have moved away from their roots, including Christian values. Policies are being pursued that place on the same level a multi-child family and a same-sex partnership, a faith in God and a belief in Satan. This is the path of degradation. Can you believe those words are coming out of the mouth of Vladimir Putin? Yeah, they did. You see what he's doing? He's actually stolen the high ground, the moral high ground from... The, the Christian West. It's unbelievable. And there is a religious motivation behind the invasion of the Ukraine. Here he is with uh, Mrs. Kirill, right? This is the head of the Russian Orthodox Church uh, who strongly supports Putin. And this is what the, the CNN article of March this year said about that. The top-ranking priest in the Russian Orthodox Church, meanwhile, has offered a very different reason for the invasion of the Ukraine. What is it? Gay pride parades. Alright? That's why. Patriarch Kirill said last week that the conflict is an extension of a fundamental culture clash between the wider Russian world and Western liberal values exemplified by expressions of gay pride. So the Ukrainian invasion by Russia on the 24th of February has this underpinning of religion. They're upholding their so-called Christian values, which of course are biblical values, and, and, and saying that the West has completely capitulated to the humanistic spirit of our times, which it has. And so they go on to say, yet experts say that Kirill's comments offer important insights into Putin's larger spiritual vision of a return <coughs> to a Russian empire, in which the Orthodox religion plays a pivotal role. Now, if you think that that's sort of coming from left field, then here's Stan, you know Stan Grant of the ABC? You seen his stuff, Stan Grant? He's quite intelligent, that guy. This is what he said recently. Vladimir Putin cannot separate Ukraine from the Holy Rus, the God-given Russian Empire. I can't talk like Stan Grant, but this is what he said on, on TV. Crimea, annexed by Putin in 2014, is the cradle of Russian Christianity, where Prince Vladimir, the leader of Kiev and Rus, converted to the faith in the 10th century. The head of Russian Orthodoxy, Patriarch Kirill, has called Putin a miracle of God. Along with Putin, Patriarch Kirill has revived the idea of Russian world. Vladimir Putin believes the West is decadent. He believes the West has turned away from God and he is a defender of the faith. The man described as Putin's brain one of the most influential thinkers in modern Russia, Alexander Dugin, remember him? 
the, two, the 1997 book on geopolitics. Yeah, that's him. So he says that the West is the Antichrist. Get a bit of a, a feel. When you, when you look at what he's saying, he's not that wrong, is he? No, he's not wrong. See? Yeah. And that's, that's why he's taking stolen the high ground. He yeah. is one of the most ugly creatures on earth, this yeah. man. That's isn't he? Really isn't that incredible oh. what's happening? But you see, the important thing is this the invasion of the land of Israel is also religiously based. <coughs> when they come in the land of Israel, in the days of producers Armageddon, as a result, it's because of religion. They want the holy sites, and we know that from Ezekiel 36. Aha! The ancient holy places are ours in possession, they say, driven by the Russian Orthodox Church, which happens to be still the largest landowner in Israel today. Did you know that? No. Yeah. They own a lot of places, including most of the holy sites, because they were built by, uh, many of them, by Helen, the, the mother of Constantine. Okay? She financed it. And of course, they were seated in Constantinople. And in 1453, when the, when the Muslims turned up, they evicted the Orthodox Church of the East. Where did they go? They went to Moscow. And Moscow. Yeah, Moscow becomes the third Rome, see? And when they get Constantinople back, they're back home. All right? Got the idea? And it is unreal what's going on. I thought Putin had a, a fairly large. Uh, Jewish upbringing too. He had yeah, close connection, things. close connection with the Jewish family. Yeah. yeah. So you know he's got that connection too. He's been using it for, for his own political purposes mm. too, cuddling up to Israel. Mm. Because you see, Israel's got to feel as though Russia's not a threat before Armageddon. All right. So he's going to use that, and I could give you a lot of information on that as well. But we won't. We're going to what he thinks about this whole affair. He wrote this article. It's a lengthy article, the 12th of July 2021. So it's not even 12 months old. This is what he said. I've just made some selections. During the recent direct line when I was asked about Russian-Ukrainian relations, I said that Russians and Ukrainians were one people, a single whole. These words were not driven by some short-term considerations or prompted by the current political context. It is what I have said on numerous occasions and what I firmly believe. Now, when Vladimir Putin says he firmly believes something, watch out. I therefore feel it necessary to explain my position in detail and share my assessments of, the, of today's situations. Russians, Ukrainians and Belarusians, notice that Belarus comes in here, all descendants of ancient Rus. And he's right, that's where their kingdom was established, which was the largest state in Europe, Slavic and other tribes across the vast territory from Ladoga, Novgorod, Sok and Kiev and Chernigov were bound together by one language, which we now refer to as Old Russian. Economic ties, the rule of the princes of the Rurik dynasty, and, after the baptism of Rus, the Orthodox faith. The spiritual choice made by Saint Vladimir, his hero, who was both Prince of Novgorod and Grand Prince of Kiev, still largely determines our affinity today. Now that's just a couple of little brief excerpts from a very lengthy article by Vladimir Putin on why he's invaded Russia. All right, <laughs> why he's invaded Ukraine, I should say. Okay, get a, get a little bit of a feel for that. I mean, this is why it's happening, and it's happening because the scripture says it had to happen. This is what he also said: the throne of Kiev held a, a dominant position in ancient Rus. This had been the custom since the late ninth century. The tale of bygone years captured for posterity the words of Oleg the prophet about Kiev. 
Let it be the mother of all Russian cities. Yeah, and that's why when they invaded, they had this huge column of tanks that came from Belarus headed straight south towards Kiev. Now, they were driven back. All right. They were driven back because they lost a lot of those tanks, etc., and a lot of soldiers. But they'll be back because that was their major aim, to take Kiev, to make it the mother of all Russian cities. Kiev is, is, is in the throes of falling now, virtually. Isn't well, it? it's, it's, under, it's, it's under... It's under a large attack. Uh, attacks by rockets and that sort of thing. And eventually it will become the target. Once they consolidate in the east, they'll, they'll start on Kiev again. He said the throne of Kiev held, held a dominant position in ancient Rus. It had been the custom since the late... Did I just read that? Got, yeah, no, the next paragraph. I am confident that true sovereignty of Ukraine is possible only in partnership with Russia. Our spiritual, human and civilizational ties formed for centuries and have their origins in the same source as they have been hardened by common trials, achievements and victories. Our kinship has been transmitted from generation to generation. It is in the hearts and the memory of people living in modern Russia and Ukraine in the blood ties that unite millions of our families. Together we have always been and will be many times stronger and more successful for we are one people. I ask you a simple question. Do you think that Vladimir Putin will retreat? No. He will not retreat, believe me. If this war goes on for years, he will continue to destroy Ukrainian cities until they are compelled to surrender. He is a, going to take that territory. There was an interview on 60 Minutes a little week or so ago. They asked him what he thought about his own people in Russia protesting against the war, and his words were, they're scum. They yeah, should be exactly. Put, thrown in yep. the gutter and trodden on. You've got to be very careful in Russia now. Traitors. Yeah. Mm. You can be in big trouble, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, big trouble. Good Tucker and a warm belly, you'll be happy. Yeah. I, I feel that this war will drag on for some time, mm. even not many months, mm. maybe a year or two, mm. and eventually they will become exhausted. But I'll tell you what will make them exhausted in the end. That will be the lack of what men depend on. Food, fuel, mm. right? Things like that, food mm. and fuel particularly, are going to become very, very scarce. Ukraine, you see it's one of the largest countries in Eurasia, mm. right? apart from Russia itself, one of the largest mm. territories. It produces 30% of the world's grains and none of that, none of it is coming out of Ukraine right now. Mm -hmm. All right? There's going to be starvation in many countries in the world, particularly in the African continent, mm -hmm. and it's already, already started. Already. It's already started. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we know that the European nations have been dependent on Russian gas and oil. They're desperately trying to find it from elsewhere. Australia's now suffering because of that, because Australian companies, gas companies, are selling it to the Europeans and others for $100 a unit and they're going to get $6 a unit in Australia. Mm. Who would you sell it to? Yeah. All right. if, if you had contracts and you can get $100 per unit for gas, would you sell it to Australian companies for $6 a unit? No, which is why most, many people on the eastern coast of Australia this winter will freeze. There are companies in New South Wales right now that are spending $100,000 a day on gas for manufacturing. And they can't keep it up. Mm. I heard a chap from the unions the other day say that if they don't solve this problem in the next few days, 
not months, days, many businesses will close their doors because they can't afford it. This is what leads. This is what leads to a crash in the economy. Nineteen thirty. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm coming to right now. You, you ready for this? Because you see in Luke seventeen. Have a look at Luke seventeen with me. In verse 37 of Luke 17, the word day in the singular, or days plural, occurs ten times in that context. That's significant. Plural is there five times, and the singular is there five times. Now what does that mean? What it means is this, is that the plural, the days, like the days of the Son of Man, that I mentioned, if you have a look at verse um, 26 of Luke 17 it says as it was in the days it's plural days of Noah so shall it be also in the days of the son of man what does that mean? it means that we're in the days of the son of man and what are they? they are days of opportunity this is our time this is like the preparation of the ark as a refuge for Noah and his family this is the period of opportunity this is when we prepare to enter into the ark when the troubles come Okay, got that little picture? Same the days of Lot. They were days of opportunity. He could have got out of that city, he could have done many things, couldn't he? But he didn't do a lot of those things. So what we have here is five plural and five singular. And five we know is the divine number of grace. Right? God's grace. So we are in a period of time that if we use it wisely, it's a period of grace. And if we use it wisely, when the day comes the day referred to in verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man cometh, we will find divine grace. We'll be given eternal life. So that's what the Lord's talking about in this context. And of course we're familiar with the times that he refers to. And each of the nine phrases that are used of human activities in verses 26 through to 28, right, has the same, exactly the same grammar in the Greek language. The verbs are in the plural number, but most importantly, the imperfect tense is used in the active voice. The imperfect tense in the Greek language, we're not, you know, we're not familiar with this sort of stuff because we speak the hybrid language called English. Okay? But if you go to the Greek, the imperfect tense is an action that has begun, it is in progress, but it doesn't get to finish. It doesn't come to an end. All right? Because it's cut off before it gets to the end. So let me just uh, uh, see if I can make this intelligible. A literal translation would be they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were buying, they were selling, okay? It's, in the, it's their activity, but it's cut off. In the days of Noah, it was cut off by the flood. In the days of Lot, they went down to get their latte at the local coffee shop, alright? And they're sipping on it at 9am and kaboom! It didn't get to finish. And it's exactly what's going to happen again. Because he says, doesn't he? Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man's revealed. You know what he's saying? He's saying that all of these things, that of the days of Noah and Lot, the eating and the drinking, he's talking about, you know, restaurant, club type eating and drinking, 
hotel type drinking, this culture of enjoyment that we're now seeing bursting forth again after COVID, marrying, you couldn't, you couldn't have a wedding in 2020, could you? No weddings. They're doing them now, both, you know, mixed, mixed and same-sex weddings, okay? Hideous sort of stuff. The buying and the selling. You know, I turn up at Bunnings, it's hard to find a par. Right. Isn't it? It's ridiculous. Planting and building. Well, there's a few problems with building materials, but they're still building, aren't they? All right, building all their luxury apartments and homes and etc. And then all their prosperity collapsed in a day after the saints were taken away. And that's the critical thing, isn't it? Christ could have used any generation of the past in terms of coming divine judgment. He doesn't. He chooses these two. Why? Because they had a common denominator. They were times of general <coughs> prosperity. Men were living in prosperity. Now, if you doubt that we're going to be taken in times of prosperity, then I, 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 I take your attention to Revelation 3.17. This is the letter to the Laodiceans. It's the seventh and last of the letters of the Apocalypse. It is the only one that has in it this statement. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. All right. That's a little bit dramatic. I know. <laughs> but you get the point. <laughs> but you get the point. It's the only one. And those seven letters actually speak, Brother Thomas makes this point, Brother Maxwell makes it in his book on the Apocalypse speak of the history from the times when John received the Apocalypse in the Isle of Patmos in AD 96 or circa there, right through to our time. So this is the letter that applies to the last days, to our time. What's it saying? What was their problem? Was the Laodicean Ecclesia in poverty? Were they struggling? No. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and, and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They didn't understand their spiritual, their true spiritual state. Because they were wrapped up like Lot's wife in prosperity. And it all came to a sudden end. It's about to happen. I mean, if you can't see that we're heading towards a depression and you haven't been reading the news. Right. Christ isn't knocking at the moment, but he's certainly on the top step. He's certainly there at the door, as it were, and we need to be ready for it. So there's a pattern in this. There's a pattern set for us, brothers and sisters, here in Luke 17. The days of Noah and Lot set the pattern for our removal before the era of prosperity comes to an end. And it's a fascinating fact that when you read through Luke 17 about the days of Noah and Lot, you mu there's no reference to violence. Look at the violence in America. They've had 270 mass shootings this year in 170 odd days. 270 mass shootings. Some of them appalling. You know, kids, nine and ten year old kids being slaughtered. So badly they couldn't even, they couldn't identify them by the appearance of the body. They were ripped apart by the bullets of an AR-15. I mean, it's, it's happening almost every day or every day, virtually, in America. We don't have that problem here so much. But that's the kind of... But Christ doesn't mention violence. It's not that it wouldn't happen, because it is happening. He's not interested in violence and immorality. He's interested in you and me. 
not being caught up in prosperity and losing our sight of what's coming. That's what he's interested in. Remember Lot's wife, he said. All right? That's where your problem's going to be. Remember Lot's wife. She was too tied up in her own society. All right? And she couldn't see what was coming. That's his warning to us, brothers and sisters. And of course he comes. He will come to raise the dead. You know what's going to happen immediately that the dead are raised? I want you to have a look at Daniel chapter 12. Daniel 12 and verse 1 and 2. And at that time, now one of the most important phrases in these verses is that little phrase. And at that time. Well, what time? Well, the previous chapter has pointed out that the Gogian Confederacy, it starts with 1917, builds up to the Gogian Confederacy coming into the land. So we know it's about the latter days. Okay? It's about this period that we're entering into now. And at that time, it says, shall Michael, that's the title of Christ, he who is like Ael, or like God, right? He's taken over from Michael. Michael, by the way, being the only other being, apart from God and Christ, who's ever had the right to forgive sins. We know that from Exodus chapter 23. Okay? The only other one. But he's now stepped aside. And Christ has taken his role. So when you read of Michael, you're reading about our Lord Jesus Christ. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. Now look at the next words. And at that time, get it? Twice we've read this phrase. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. So who are they? Everyone that shall be found written in the book, and namely the book of life. It's not talking about natural Israel. It's talking about you and me, whose names are in the book of life. Okay, This is the time of our redemption. And when we are taken to the judgment seat to receive that redemption, the world is going to collapse into a time of trouble that they've never seen in history. Forget the Second World War. Forget the Depression of the 1930s. Forget the Great War of 1914-18. It's going to mean nothing like the time of trouble that will hit this world. And the violence and the corruption and the immorality that will emerge will be something mankind has never seen. So why is that important? Well, it's important because in that period it's going to be 10, nearly 10 years long before Armageddon, from the time of the resurrection to the time of Armageddon, will be a 10-year period, we believe. It's in that 10 years that huge changes will happen in our world, just like happened in the 1930s in the Depression. Stock market crashed from 29th of October 1929. The Second World War started 10 years later on the 1st or 2nd, 3rd of September when Hitler invaded Germany, 1939. Um, right. Old. Old. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, Poland, did I say? Did I say Poland? Or Germany. Oh, sorry. Germany attacked Poland. This is what, what happens when you get old. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so that when, when Hitler attacked Poland on the 1st of September 1939, within two days, the British and the French had declared war uh, on, on Germany. So this is why it's so important that we see where we're up to in the scheme of things. So when Armageddon, 10 years after the resurrection of the dead, so I want to show you what the world is saying. This is what I mean, this is what the world's saying. This guy, Harry Dent, has a long track record of predicting market crashes. He's written books and all that sort of stuff. He forecast the 2007 financial crash, the, the GFC, the Great Financial uh, Crisis, um, Global Financial Crisis, I should say. And comparing 2007 with the 1929 Wall Street crash, Mr. Dent said it was on the same cycle but crucially this time, the central banks realised that they had a printing power they didn't have back then, in the 1920s. And they just took out the cannons, alright? They got rid of the gold standard and all that sort of stuff in the 1970s. He added, so we've been living off printed money ever since. We have a great reckoning coming here, alright? He's just written this in the last year or two. I reckon they've been printing a lot more money recently though. Yeah. And it's just created big bubbles in, in our world, isn't it? They're all going to burst eventually. Another lady. This is Anne Pettifor, who predicted the 2007-2008 financial crisis in her 2006 book. She can't say that she you know, didn't know what was going on. She published the book in 2006 and the crash comes in 2007. Warned that the world had accumulated a mountain of debt through a combination of low interest rates and GDP. Global debt now stands at US $226 trillion which means you stack the notes up, you go to the moon, more than global GDP and the value of listed companies. She said, we know the great financial crisis, meaning the 1929 crisis, was triggered by the fact that investors asked if assets were really worth what they said they were worth. Well, they weren't. And of course, people got out of investment, didn't they? And the stock market crashed, etc. We can see, can't we? We can see this happening again. It's building up. These people, and there are many more of these people, that are saying that it's coming, and they think it's going to come this year. So what's the value of this in terms of Bible prophecy? Well, it's important, because this is what happens. 1929 crash, right? By 1930, worldwide depression. And then as they started to regain a little bit of control, then BANG! Second World War. Right? Took 10 years. Look at our time. We're in 2022. We don't know what's going to be this year. It could be next. Who knows? I think it may be this year. Right? Same pattern. Crash. We go into a time of trouble such as never was. Daniel 12, because there's been a resurrection of the dead on the, on the, you know, before this crash occurs. Ten years. Armageddon. All right? Exactly the same pattern all over again. So what do, do depressions do? Well, they produce huge change. They change very quickly from an economic necessity that includes war, starvation and crime. Remember, it's a time of trouble, such as it never was. That will produce similar dramatic changes in the alignment of nations in much worse circumstances than existed in the Depression years of the 1930s. So what happened in the 1930s? The nations of Europe, we know, by prophecy, must be brought into the Gogian Confederacy. We know that the papacy must regain effective political control in Europe, or influence in Europe, Southern Europe in particular, which is largely Catholic. We know that the nations from Syria to Pakistan must be brought under Russian control. So they're the things that we know, and that's just a brief summary of what has to happen. 
That, I believe, will happen when the pressures of that time of trouble come on the nations of Europe and elsewhere. It will force them to do things today that they would never have thought possible. You know, you've seen it. What happened in, in, the, in the 1930s? America completely said goodbye to the rest of the world. You know what their, their mantra was in the 1930s, America? It was Trump's mantra. America first. All right? We don't want to get involved in the European war. We're going to stay right out of it. It's going to happen again. You know? And countries in Europe that didn't want to be part of Hitler's empire ended up being part of Hitler's empire. All right? Uh, Italy became part of his empire, essentially. Japan. There was no relationship between Germany and Japan. But they became partners, the Axis powers, see? So things that looked impossible then became a fact. It's going to happen all over again. So I want to conclude by taking you to Matthew 24. Am I going for time here? All right? Can you manage it? Matthew 24. I want to just conclude with this exhortation from Matthew 24. This is Christ's words to us. By the way, um, I'll get... um, Maybe Brother Ken can do this, but if you haven't seen the latest update that I put out, the pretty update, it's about... And a lot of what I said this afternoon, and quite a bit more actually, is in that update. You might find that useful just to, to consolidate some of the things that we've said here today. Have you got a sticker or a, a DVD or CD that, that it's all the time? Uh, a little bit, but not much of it. But I do have to do a talk in a month's or so's time. I've got a talk I've got to do in a month's or so's time uh, at Wilston and, and elsewhere as well. So maybe we can send a copy of that down here. Because a lot of what I've said here about Ukraine will, will be in that as well. Anyway, it, there's stuff around. Now, Matthew 24, 12 and 13. Let's just understand what what we have here. The first 29 verses of Matthew 24, well, from verse 3 onwards, down to verse 29, to almost the end of that verse, apply to events between AD 66 and AD 70. All right? So, beyond... The last words of verse 29 through to the end of this chapter belongs to our era. So bear in mind that the words of verses 12 and 13 are in that area of the prophecy that deal deal with the events of AD 70. But the exhortation applies equally to our time. Alright? And that's the point I want to make. So while these words were very designed for Christ's disciples of his time, they are also designed for our time. So what does it say in verse 12? Because iniquity shall abound. Now that word iniquity means lawlessness. Because, can you see lawlessness around? (laughs) Because lawlessness shall abound. The word means to multiply. Can you see it multiplying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He says, the love of the many, there's an article there, the love of the many, he means amongst his own people, the disciples, shall wax cold. Now that word in the Greek, there's only one word for the two English words wax cold, it's suko. It means to cool by blowing. So if I wet my finger and blow on it, this side that I wet of my finger is colder than the other side. I mean that's what we do in air conditioning sort of stuff. Okay? We understand that principle. 
So he's saying that the love, that agape love, the sacrificial love, the love of commitment, right, is going to be affected by these cool breezes that are blowing upon them. Do you think we might have cool breezes blowing upon us? Yeah, I think so. In this technological age. And if that, and that shoot goes from the from the shoot, which means wind to breathe to blow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we've got this barrage of cool breezes blowing from the world on us. And Christ says the problem is that the agape love, the commitment of my people, is going to fade. All right, it's going to be cooled by blowing. So if we know that, we've got to do something about it. In the Greek, that word suko is in the passive voice. And the passive voice is when someone is doing something to you. You are the receiver of someone else's actions towards you. There's not a great deal we can do about the cool breezes of this world. Is it? I mean, it's just going to blow. But there is something we can do. And that's the next verse. It's verse 13. Yes, sir. The technical reason why it's colder is because it's taking the latent heat out of your yeah. body yeah. to make, make the um, liquid change state to a gas. Yeah. And so it's actually withdrawing your heat. Yeah. And that, yeah, when you put that in the spiritual realm, eh? That's what's happening to me. I mean, I, I admit, I'm being affected. I'm being affected because you turn on whatever, the radio or whatever it is, and you get humanism and all sorts of stuff being blown at you, you know? Mm. They're always talking about LGBTs or this or that. And yeah. that. Come on. You've only got to see the TV ads like the transgender person. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. So you've got all this stuff coming at you, all right, and we've got to do something about that. So what do we do? Verse 13. It says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now this word endure is hupomena. It means to remain behind after others have gone. And it's in the active voice. So this is not what someone else is doing to you. This is what you are doing. All right? This is your activity. This is your decision you're making. You're saying to yourself, I'm not going to let this world get to me like it's, it's trying to. I'm going to resist it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to get my head in the Bible or whatever it may be. I'm going to do something about it. You're the active one here. And if you do that, guess what? He says, the same shall be saved. And that word saved there, sozo in the, in the Greek, means preserved. And it's in the passive voice. So you don't save yourself. All right? It's God that saves you. Right. If you turn to his word, he works, he saves you. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that isn't this a precision in the way that that's presented? But that's the exhortation to us. And we can see these signs, brothers and sisters. They are thick and they're coming fast. And Christ won't be too long before he arrives as well.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.